Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and why back pain is just your body getting stronger. With the Red Ribbon Army in shambles and six of the seven Dragon Balls in the hands of our heroes, we continue our journey in the fortune teller Baba saga as Goku pushes to make good on his promise to Upa, while maybe even getting just a little stronger along the way. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And we're crusting the halfway point in tonight's edition of Instant Transmission, covering episodes 69 through 82 in our coverage of the original Dragon Ball series. We've got coverage all the way up to this point if you haven't checked it out, but without further ado, was there anything else you wanted to add before we got things started, Todd? No, I think we can just go ahead and jump on into this one. Hell yeah. Well, this one's a nice one. This is episode 69. Cute, huh? Fortune teller Baba. And <laughs> after defeating the Red Ribbon Army, the entire gang decides to head back to Roshi's Island to repair the dragon radar and come up with a plan to find the last Dragon Ball. Yeah. And as Balma's trying to repair the dragon radar, she feels like there's nothing wrong with it, but it seemingly can't find or can't locate this last seventh Dragon Ball. And so she explains that maybe something ate the ball. Maybe it's living material that is kind of blocking the signal for the ball. Uh, I did laugh a little bit when she said, if it's in the universe, this can find it unless something eats it. <laughs> Which is, well... Is also interesting, given that I think she had to create a new dragon radar for the super dragon balls across the universe, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, whatever. I'm not splitting hairs here. Yeah. But I think that's when Master Roshi gives us an alternative solution for finding the seventh dragon ball. Yeah, he suggests visiting the fortune teller Baba's palace. And right away, Krillin, Yamcha, and Poir decide that they would like to go with Goku on this journey. And so already we've got the party kind of picked out and who's going to be on the the, uh, the next adventure. Yeah, and Balma, Roshi, and Oolong all decide they're going to sit this one out. But Goku goes out of his way as our gathered adventurers. Uh, Goku goes to pick up Upa as well, given that he doesn't want Upa to be alone and he is presumably going to get the final Dragon Ball that he needs to resurrect Upa's father, Bora. I think the first time I saw this, I thought in my head, why would you bring Upa with you? Then I remember that like me as the viewer knows that nothing is ever easy. Whereas I can imagine Goku thinking, yeah, we're just going to go here. We're going to get the last Dragon Ball and then we're going to wish for his dad back. It's going to be, you know, easy peasy, no risk. But Dragon Ball, nothing is easy. Nothing at all is easy. I mean, it's also interesting to me. I understand that Goku was living on his own as a very young kid. He's a very special case, but. The fact that they just have left Upa out in the woods by himself is interesting to me. Yeah, I I can understand the the young child who was left in the woods himself not thinking it's a big deal, but there are a lot of adults involved in this situation and none of them have said anything about this. Yeah, this is kind of wild, but Goku being the responsible 13-year-old or however old he is now, goes and grabs Upa after leaving him in the woods for weeks. 
and brings him along to fortune teller Baba's palace where they get in line to enter into the palace proper. Yeah. And there's actually kind of a, I guess a group of rough people that are kind of ahead of them in line. And they're kind of making these, I guess these side eyes at them, but this group of ruffians, they're invited in, in front of them. And you start hearing screams and, and yells of pain and panic and stuff like that. And I think it's at this point that the party starts catching on that. This is not going to be just your, your average fortune telling. Yeah. And with, the group ahead of them entering in, getting their butts kicked, presumably, and running away from the palace with their legs or with their tail between their legs. Our group of adventurers enters in to meet the fortune teller Baba herself, and they ask her if they could find the seventh Dragon Ball and use her fortune telling powers to reveal its location. Yeah, and Baba is not exactly as kind as I think the party would have hoped because there's actually a price tag attached to this fortune telling and it's 10 million zenny. And I do believe there was a couple of uh of rich people who are leaving just as they arrived talking about how oh yes with the the crystal necklace it was behind the bar or something like that. And I do like that they kind of alluded to that before they showed up. It was actually really good storytelling. Yeah, I agree. It's a nice little detail. Even while I was watching that, even kind of knowing what's coming up, I was like, why were those? I don't understand why the rich people were there. But then afterwards, put two and two together. I was like, oh, that was really well done. I was in the same boat. I was definitely caught off guard. It just compared to everybody else that we've seen at uh, Baba's Palace, they just seemed way out of place. And so it was, it was a nice little Easter egg. If you would have kind of sat there and thought about it a little bit more, you might have been able to predict this. Yeah, absolutely. But Baba also, once our adventuring party says, we don't have that kind of cash, Baba gives them an alternative. And we presume that it's the alternative that the other guests were participating in which is to fight her group of fighters and if they win they get a free fortune telling oh yeah and this is i mean only in dragon ball would a fortune telling be able to be paid for in a tournament (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, I'm not complaining. It's it's uh it's a fun tournament, but I think that pretty much takes us into the next episode as we begin the fighting. Yes, and this is episode 70, Assault. We are the five warriors. And we have Goku, Krillin, and Yamcha stepping forward to take on Baba's champions. They're kind of leaving Upa, understandably, on the side since uh yeah, he's not he's got a lot of trauma he's dealing with and he's very young. And he probably can't fend for himself in the woods. Let's talk about that for a second. (laughs) (laughs) So our heroes step forward to take on uh, Baba's challenge. And I found it interesting that the rules are basically the same as like the World Martial Arts Tournament, right? It's you fight until one of you is unable to fight any further or if you're ringed out. So this is something that the, the viewer would be very familiar with at this point. Yeah, and... We kind of jump right into it where Krillin says, okay, I'm going to be the first one. And he's he's pretty sure of himself. He's saying he's going to knock out all five of Baba's fighters. And 
he gets a little bit of a surprise when the very first fighter who shows up is not exactly your traditional combatant. Uh, he's got pale skin, sharp teeth, boxing gloves, and <laughs> the boxing outfit got me. <laughs> it really did get me. <laughs> I mean, he's a vampire. He's a vampire, right? Like it's Dracula with boxing shorts and boxing gloves on. That, that's <laughs> what it is. And honestly, it looks absolutely ridiculous. And I think even just the party thinks that this is absolutely ridiculous. This is a show. This is this guy's going to be a pushover. But we very quickly find out when Krillin charges forward that this vampire, his name is Fangs, actually. Yeah, Fangs has a very unorthodox fighting style. He's doing weird like dance moves and like stretches and stuff like that at weird times. And Grillin's actually unable to really get a good attack on Fangs. And eventually he's kind of put in a bad spot when Fangs kind of gets a, a reverse hold on him and Krillin's struggling. Yeah. And to do so, I thought it was an interesting tactic where Fangs actually turns into a bat and then just flies around dodging Krillin's attacks and kind of wears Krillin out and then dive bombs him from behind and just lashes his teeth into Krillin's bald head, getting a nice succulent taste of that juicy noggin. And oh, the brain damage. Oh, no. <laughs> and Krillin basically has to power bomb his own skull into the arena floor in order to get this vampire off of him. And he's not doing so hot. No, the the vampire has done his damage at this point. All the teeth sunken deep, and he's got several little puncture holes in his head where blood is just kind of, I guess, shooting out, especially <laughs> when he's angry. And so Krillin's in bad shape, and eventually he starts actually getting dizzy. And once he's kind of in that spot where he's kind of, you know, slopping around and he's not really able to keep his feet, He's more or less easily knocked from the ring. Yeah. Fangs gives him a knee to the back of the head, knocks him right into the water, which is immediately outside of the ring. And Krillin loses in the very first match. Like, I, I we talked about this a little bit before recording, but what did you think about this, Dayton, with your favorite character getting beat before he even has a chance to really shine? You know, it's... I'm not upset that they use krillin is kind of the gag character because he's 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 very lighthearted kind of in general and so there can be some gags and stuff that are fun with him but for a while there he was just barely under goku right like he had done the same training as master roshi he's he's a trained martial artist he's very powerful but it's been a long time since we've seen krillin actually do something well and i'm not saying krillin needs to save the entire day or anything but he just went in there and just got knocked around by the very first opponent that they fought. I get that he's kind of used as a measuring stick, but at least give, give him one W, give him one victory under his belt before you knock him out. Yeah, I full on expected with seeing that our group had three fighters and Baba's group had five fighters in my head. I was like, OK, you know, Krillin's going to go in. He's probably going to win the first one, lose the second one. Yamcha will switch in, blah, 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 so on and so forth. I mean, admittedly, the one good thing that they did here with the writing is that they circumvented my expectations because I did not <laughs> expect Krillin to lose in the first round. 
they they very early on they've set Krillin up for failure, and they're going to continue this trend for many many unfortunate years i mean we can make a comparison to the tournament of power in dragon ball super 20 plus years no, almost 30 <laughs> years later probably <laughs> oh geez yeah and i think the uh the abridged krillin owned counter doesn't even count original dragon ball so oof yeah yeah it, it is I, it, uh, I mean, they could add <laughs> a lot to that counter if they did og dragon ball <laughs> so i mean i was i mean honestly i was pretty upset with it just because krillin didn't even do anything cool really he didn't break out any techniques he didn't even really land a hit it was just he just kind of got dunked on and then sent off honestly i think i would have been more okay with it kind of like what you're saying is if if he would have even had a good showing in this fight and still lost i would have been okay with that but yeah he just like you said he totally got dunked on they i mean they literally dunked him in the water to finish the fight and he did I don't even think he hit the guy. He did nothing. Yeah, it's and I get that that Krillin hasn't been doing the things that Goku has been doing, but he's still been training under Master Roshi like quite a bit. And I know in DBZ, we see a lot of cleverness from Krillin, right? It's the yeah. I'm less powerful than everybody. So I've got to dig deep into my bag of tricks and come out with a way to come out on top. And I would have liked to seen a flare of that. And, you know, I know this is me you know, looking from the future back. But even then, like if, if I, I don't know, I just wanted a little bit more. I'm a little disappointed. I feel the same. You make a really good point about Krillin. And I, I almost wonder if this is like, if this is a seeing Krillin go through the learning process of being like, man, I've just been the underdog over and over and over and over. Like I need to figure something else out. <laughs> like, no, no, this I is disagree. Not for me. <laughs> they're they're giving him his his you know they're putting him in his wheelchair and putting a nice blanket on his lap and they're they're rolling him out to the pasture to to live out the rest of his days at this point. That, that's what this is. <laughs> I also might just be a little bit jaded when it comes to the riding with Krillin. I don't blame you, man. Like like I said, I would have at least liked to see him do something cool in the fight before he got knocked out. That's all I wanted. They did, like I said, like you said, actually, he could lose. But just make it cool, right? Make it yeah. fun. But that <sighs> all right, but... I'll get off my soapbox, bud. Because <laughs> I, I could talk about this for the rest of the episode. Yeah. But, so we we got to move on because there's I'm getting I'm getting hot over here. <laughs> that basically takes us to continuing the matches where our group basically has a little huddle as they decide how to handle Fangs the Vampire, and they send out. Upa, and they ask Baba if they can send out Upa and Poir to fight together because they're so small. And she confers with Fangs, and Fangs agrees to it. So we get Upa and Poir versus Fangs the Vampire. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I, I was trying to figure out what they were doing, but it becomes pretty obvious when you see Upa slipping something into his mouth just before the match starts. And we see Fangs kind of being cocky and dancing around and just being like, they're just kids. What are they going to do? He rushes in, and that's where the secret weapon is unveiled. Upa had just chewed up a bunch of garlic and was using his garlic breath to push back Fangs. <laughs> it's so silly. It's so silly. I mean, it's fun, but it's so silly. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is the 80s, right? Where 
you know, vampires and mummies and all that stuff were real popular. So it's, it's an, especially looking at it now, it's an obvious trick an obvious ploy an obvious little story beat. Uh, but it's, it's kind of fun. The, I think the part that is the most fun to me actually is that Fangs is running away from Upa and then decides, Oh, well, I'm just going to eat Poir because Poir doesn't have garlic breath. And then Poir turns into a porcupine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Poir turns into a porcupine, 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 and just <laughs> Fangs gets a mouthful of uh, of prickles. And then we get a scene. Okay, I have to bring this up where Upa stands with his arms straight out oh. and forms a cross. And then the screen flashes by in English letters. Jesus Christ. <laughs> In this sense, Fang's just running for the hills. I died laughing because it was so unexpected. I kind of forgot about that, but yeah, it is really wild. I think it, it says, I mean, it says multiple things across the screen, like Jesus Christ, something like, oh my God. Or yeah, just, it says Jesus Christ, oh God. And yeah, then, that's and then Fang's <laughs> it, It's up there. It's similar comedy to me as uh, the the pirate robot. Yeah. Where it's so corny and just so unexpected that it I just died laughing. Right. It's it's just so unexpected. It's it's I mean, I I thought it was funny too. I kind of forgot about that part though. Uh but it basically turns into Upa then chasing Fangs around with his garlic breath. Fangs trying to escape by turning into a bat and flying away. And that's when Poir sinks the victory as he swats the bat out of the air, turning into a giant hand. And uh, I mean, Poir and Upa won, but Krillin lost. So <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, they still could have gotten the wind. You, you didn't need to send Krillin in there. To die. Anyway, I'm off the soapbox. So anyway, <laughs> with Fangs defeated, we move on to the next opponent. And Yamcha decides to step forward for this next fight. And we kind of get this weird delay when Baba sends forward her next champion. And it appears that there's nobody in the ring. And that's because the next opponent is the Invisible Man. Yeah, and we're starting to see a theme here as we're getting these kind of freaky, monstrous fighters from Baba's group. And, the, the classic horror movies, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think we'll continue to see a few more of those moving forward. But starting with the Invisible Man, he beats the dog shit out of Yamcha. <laughs> he really does. Yamcha has no idea what to do against this opponent. And mind you, this is the original Dragon Ball, so we don't have any experience to draw back on, right? Like, there's been a few times in Dragon Ball Z and Super were invisible opponents or some variety of that were a thing, but this is the first time in Dragon Ball. And so there's no real guidebook on what they do to fight an opponent like that. And I wanted to bring that up because I've, I was kind of used to it because I've already seen it a few times, but this is the first time. So I was really interested in how they handled it. Yeah. And I, I like it. We funny enough, Krillin is, basically trying to come up with a plan on the sidelines and he tells Goku to go get 
Roshi and Balma and bring oh them back. Oh my god. We waited so long for the Sunveil, but we'll get there in a minute. But <laughs> in my head, when he asked Goku to do that, I was trying to think what in the world could like grabbing two spectators offer to this battle. I kept racking it through my brain because I had no idea. I'm... And on top of that, it felt like it took a minute for them to get to Baba's palace. Yeah. And so how I, yeah, Krillin also tells Yamcha to try and just stay in the fight as long as he can. I'm just like, is he going to stay like in the fight for hours? How long is this going to take? Yeah. There, in terms of time, there was definitely a disconnect in my brain in terms of how long it was going to take Goku to get there and back again. But I'm very curious moving into the next episode to hear what you have to say, because I knew what was going to happen. Oh, you did. Okay, so you're tipped off. Yeah. And I mean, I've I've watched Dragon Ball. It's been years, but I remember details of it. This was one of the details that I did remember that unfortunately stuck with me for whatever. Oh, geez. (laughs) All right. We'll get to that detail, but we get towards the end of the episode with Yamcha kind of, I guess, pushed to his limit. And he decides to close his eyes and just focus on listening for his opponent. And the episode kind of ends right there. Yeah, and I think that takes us right into the fight continued in the next episode. Yes, which is episode 71, A Great Do-or-Die Bloody Battle. Ooh, buddy, that's a hell of a name right there. (laughs) I didn't realize it was called that. (laughs) But... The episode begins with Goku arriving at Kame House, and uh, he's able to find Bulma and Roshi kind of nearby with uh, Launch and uh, Oolong kind of flying off to somewhere. And I can only describe this as Goku basically kidnaps Roshi and Bulma from the plane and just drags them back to Baba's place. I'm not going to lie. I kind of love that scene. I love just seeing Goku smash into the cockpit of this plane that they're flying and grab both of them out of it. I was not expecting him to do that. (laughs) I wasn't either. I was like, oh, my, this is way more violent than I expected. Yeah, me too. I was like, oh, uh, all right. I guess we're going with violence. So. So, yeah, uh, Goku kidnaps his friends and heads back towards uh, uh, Baba's place. And he actually arrives back there in pretty darn short time. Yeah, and kind of in the interim, we get to see what Yamcha was trying to do using his hearing. He closes his eyes and focuses on the sound of this invisible man. And we actually get a couple of really cool visuals as the audience getting to see little blades of grass being pushed down in the arena and hearing the little footsteps and movement of this invisible man. And... Yamcha actually lands in a few solid blows. He uses his hearing really well. It's actually a cool scene to watch, uh, but it doesn't last very long as Baba decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. Yes, and she opens her beautiful Baba mouth and lets loose a beautiful Baba song to fill the air with sound. And at this point... Yamcha is no longer able to listen for his opponent, and he's more or less right back to where he started. Yeah, and so this turns into... uh, Actually, one other thing that they try before 
Goku arrives, I think, is Krillin and the rest of the gang play on the Invisible Man's vanity by just shouting out compliments to him. And so the Invisible Man starts talking in response to those compliments. And that gives Yamcha the opportunity to land another few blows. Uh, but that only the trick only lasts once or twice and then the invisible man zips his mouth shut and continues to pummel under the advice of baba who says your strength is in your silence (laughs) (laughs) she's like shut your mouth and fight (laughs) oh geez so at this point uh yamcha can't really hear his opponent his opponent is keeping his mouth shut and yamcha is getting more or less just kicked around the arena and is in really dire straits at this point but Luckily, it's around this point that Goku arrives with Roshi and Balma, and Krillin's plan is finally unveiled. Oh, man. And this is this is wild. I mean, Balma and Roshi are kind of upset that they're even here. Krillin is placing them in position where Roshi is facing the arena, Balma's facing away from the arena, kind of towards Roshi, and Krillin waits for the perfect moment and then drops Balma's shirt. <sighs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's mm. like there's so many other ways they could have done this, but they had to go with the Balma boobs nosebleed gag. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I don't know. I'm reliving it right now and just I. So, yeah. Uh, Krillin's plan was to reveal Bulma's lovely lady lumps to Master Roshi and have him fire blood out of his nose into the arena, coating the paint or the invisible man with blood so that way he can now be seen. I don't know. It's, it's the age old thing of just, well, it's the invisible guy. You just got to paint him with something, right? But the way the lengths they went to to do that just blows my mind. Yeah, like they could have used anything. They could have, I mean, Goku could have gone to the town and gotten a bucket of paint. Like there's any number of different things that they could have done. And, you know, the some of these more perverted childish gags, they don't bother me all that much. But this one just felt like they were going out of their way. To it was put this way in too here. elaborate. Also, it brought up questions of how far were they and like logistics and all this other stuff. It's just they literally stopped at a little tourist town on their way to Baba's and Goku could have just gone there and grabbed a bucket of paint or something. Right. Anything, paint, oil, whatever, anything that would have stuck to the guy. It really would not have been difficult, but they it, went. The it was place. a lot of effort for a boob gag. <laughs> just have to bring that up and i mean yeah. honestly there's there's really nothing else beyond this in this fight it's the invisible man is visible and yamcha pretty much you know kicks his butt in and that's the end of that fight yeah that's that's pretty much the whole thing uh we do actually get by the end of this now that we've got roshi here roshi reveals that Baba is his older sister. So that's an interesting little tidbit that we didn't know going into this. And unfortunately, they are not close to each other. 
They forget about each other's birthdays. They don't get along. Yeah, and we get just a, a few brief interactions to express that. But that turns into Baba telling our group of adventurers that she wants to move locations into her palace. And she starts taking everyone to what Roshi refers to as the devil's toilet. This arena, when they get there, makes me laugh so hard. I do think it is hilarious, and I'm glad they went to the effort to do this. I love it, honestly. It, it's silly, and it makes the fights interesting, but basically what it is... is... <laughs> say, we have to explain it. I just opened that door, so... <laughs> yeah. It, it's essentially a pit where there is... There are two statues of what look like devils with their tongues extended outward to meet in the middle of this pit. And the tongues create a bridge where our fighters are going to be fighting. But at the bottom of that pit, there is, it is filled with, I could only call it acid. It basically is described. Stinky acid. Stinky acid that will kill anyone that it touches and oh did i mention that there's also a toilet roll in the background yes the devils are actually sitting on toilets <laughs> i didn't even notice that and there are toilet paper rolls on either side that you can see in several shots it is absolutely incredible it is my favorite arena i want to play super smash brothers on that arena all the time it's so good like it, it feels like something that you would see in a fighting game right like <laughs> really the devil's does. toilet I mean, it's one of those things where it's it works because it's Dragon Ball, right? Where it's it's serious, but it doesn't take itself too serious. And so you have this really serious situation. And I mean, I mean, it's devils and acid and death, but somehow they make it slightly silly because it is the devil's toilet. I, it's perfect. I freaking love it. And it works because it's stinky acid. Love, 10 out of 10 story writing. Toriyama's a genius. <laughs> See, whereas the boob gag felt really shoehorned in here. And forced. Very forced. This is a perfect combination of serious drama with silly comedy that kind of overlays the drama, but doesn't undermine it. So the nobody brings it up ever. Uh, the the background, the toilet rolls, the nothing. They the, they are completely serious about this situation. <laughs> And I freaking love it. Oh, it's my. so good. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's something that I don't know, like you'd see in One Punch Man or something like that, where it's just this very serious situation. But really, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I love this. And we get a, a short scene where Baba tries to trick Goku. She feeds him some food and she tries to drop bricks on his head because she's worried about him. She thinks that he's a serious threat for her fighters. But Goku knocks the bricks away. He eventually makes his way to the arena to see Yamcha enter into the devil's toilet. Yeah, and I think it kind of pauses there with the 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 backdrop kind of set and Yamcha ready to fight. And I mean, they pretty much let us know that on the next episode, we're going to see the opponent. So we're left with kind of this little cliffhanger on this one. Yeah, 
the only other little detail that I thought was interesting is that Baba at the end of this episode offers for Goku to join her fighters. So we get the impression that she's she's opportunistic. She picks her fighters from wherever she can as long as they are powerful fighters. Yeah, and it was obviously a really interesting kind of out of left field. I didn't expect Baba to just kind of be like, Goku, be on my team, especially considering the other fighters we've seen, right? They're very different. They feel very... I don't know. They're very themed. I mean, they're all more or less monsters and Goku doesn't fit the mold really. But uh, I mean, maybe it's just because he's stronger than her super powerful monsters. Yeah. I mean, or just, I guess you could say maybe it's the whole, what is it? Legend of the monkey King that she's Uh, playing to. But yeah, I think that pretty much brings that episode to an end, which leads us into episode 72. Goku steps up the devil's toilet. And I think it's safe to say just based off that title that Yamcha doesn't do too well. (laughs) (laughs) We're about to see uh, Yamcha get flushed or damn near. (laughs) Yeah. And the episode begins with Baba chanting some sort of summoning technique for her next champion. And we see fog kind of flowing out of one of the devil's mouths across its tongue and then eventually the fog retreats back revealing a coffin that opens up to unveil yamcha's opponent a mummy yeah man we're named sticking... bandages named bandages it's important that people know that his name is bandages hell yeah we're sticking with that monster theme and i i mean these monsters are not very originally named that's for sure but <laughs> i think that's part of the comedy of it too so the mummy gets up and gets ready to face yamcha and we actually get some some interesting exposition from roshi where he says that no one has ever faced this mummy and lived to tell about it. So instead of using Krillin as our yardstick this time, we're getting the exposition from Roshi, who knows his sister and knows her fighters. Yeah, and it's... um, I'm glad you actually wrote that down because I didn't. And now that I think about it, Roshi throughout this fight mentions a couple different things about how if Baba can't find a champion in this world that suits her needs, she will actually go to the other world and find a champion from the past that does. Touch of foreshadowing there, I think. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. But we kind of start off our fight with the mummy and Yamcha. And right off the bat, the mummy is pushing Yamcha hard. He pretty shortly gets a hit right on Yamcha's face, knocks Yamcha off of the tongue bridge, and Yamcha manages to catch himself on the ledge, but we kind of get the impression that this mummy is going to step on his fingers and knock Yamcha into the stinky acid below. Yeah, and it there's this moment of suspense, and then the mummy bandages just sort sort of mentions that he's waited so long for another fight that he's not going to let this one go away. And so he actually lets Yamcha get back up and continue the fight. But it's really just a one-sided fight at this point. So it's the mummy just kind of toying with Yamcha. And we see the classic wolf fang fist get broken back out. Kind of Yamcha's ultimate technique to take down bandages. 
and it fails to land. It fails to connect a single time on bandages. Yeah, and bandages retaliates with a few blows of his own, knocking Yamcha to the ground. And Yamcha uses this opportunity as the mummy pauses to get a sneak attack in, kicking Bandage's feet out from under him and knocking him down towards the stinky acid. But Yeah, and we're kind of at this point where you have this moment of hope that Yam- Yamcha did it. Yamcha did it. The- he did something. But unfortunately, Yamcha didn't do anything as Bandage's lives up to his name and fires some of the bandages wrapping around his body back up, latching onto the arena and actually pulling himself back up and saving him from death or defeat. And at this point, I think it's pretty clear that Yamcha is kind of out of options. Yeah. And this is kind of cool. It's, I mean, it wasn't exactly unexpected, but I like seeing that the mummy is more than just brute force. And speaking of brute force at this point, the mummy grabs onto Yamcha and puts him over his shoulders and begins to fold him in half like a pretzel. And he's in some trouble. Yeah, and Yamcha's refusing to admit defeat, like Puar and Balma and everybody are yelling at him to just tap out. And yeah, Yamcha's pretty much in the worst spot that he could be. And Yamcha is tossed over the side and down into the the devil's stench or whatever you want to call it. But just before he can hit the bottom and I believe end his life, Goku extends his power pole and catches Yamcha by the sash. A Yamcha who at this point is pretty much passed out, knocked out just at the absolute end. Yeah, so while Yamcha has lost the fight, he didn't lose his life thanks to Goku, but... That leaves us with one fighter on our team and Goku enters the ring. And I think that that pretty much takes us into the next episode. It does, which is episode 73, certain death from the Akumaito beam. That's Japanese and I don't speak that. But yes, certain death from the Akumaito beam. (laughs) Yeah, and we're going to find that that translates into the devil might beam as we get into our next fight here. But I think we start with Goku versus bandages. Yes. And the battle begins very interesting. I would say as bandages is kind of eyeing up Goku and he kind of freezes for a little bit nervously as he inspects Goku's defense and decides that there's no real good way to attack Goku that he's his defense is near flawless which I want to bring up that the stance Goku was standing in was just both legs at about shoulder width both arms just kind of out to his sides I have no idea why that's the ultimate defensive stance but that's what was decided yeah it's interesting I mean we we see that later in I think both Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super where people will express He's, you know, he's completely guarded. There's no openings and they're literally standing straight with their hands at their sides. But I think it's something it's we're kind of getting the impression that the fighters 
can see something that we can't see as the audience, uh, that these martial artists can kind of size each other up, even if they're just standing in a neutral stance. You know, if it, at least make them in like a cool stance if you're going to do it, though. Not just the like arms to my side, you know, doing the the angry clenched fist meme and saying that that's a perfect like stance to be in. But I guess it's a perfect stance. And we see bandages kind of thinking to himself, you know, he, he's just a boy. He's just a kid. I I'm far more than enough to take him down. And we see him kind of break his trance and charge in and actually land a couple of pretty nasty blows on Goku kind of knocking him into the air and then knocking him face, uh, face down into the arena and we see Goku kind of lying there motionless for a minute. And yeah, it it takes a minute, but Goku eventually gets back up to the elation of his friends. And he doesn't have a mark on him. I think his friends even say as much. He's he's kind of laughing. He he clearly was doing this to size up the mummy and at this point, we get the impression that Goku is far stronger, far superior to Bandages as a fighter. And this leads us to Bandages, again, living up to his name and pulling out his Bandages as a weapon. Yes. And Goku, I think still kind of arrogant, still kind of cocky, just kind of stands there as these bandages wrap around him and eventually start almost forming like a cocoon around Goku as they continuously wrap around him. And Master Roshi even kind of makes a comment as Goku struggles that the bandages that they use for these mummified people are nearly indestructible. Yeah, and so while Goku is unable to free himself with brute force, we see him deliberately leap off of the tongue in the I devil's toilet. I thought this toilet. was cool. I, I actually really like this. It's pretty sweet because from the audience point of view, the bandages go taut and we don't see Goku. But then it switches over to a view where we get to see Goku hanging just above the stinky acid in the bottom of the devil's toilet. And he's letting some of the acid eat away at the bandages on his back as he's kind of holding the bandages between his feet and pulling on them with his mouth to free himself. Yeah. And so it's at this point that Goku, I mean, this is a really intelligent move from somebody who we're used to not doing very many intelligent things up to this point, right? Like this is a pretty high IQ fighting move and also very risky. Super risky, but uh, as we see in Dragon Ball Z in particular, Goku or Dragon Ball Z abridged, Goku is a fighting savant. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, with his his his, I guess, cocoon broken, Goku is able to fight again and re-enters the arena. And I think at this point, it's a pretty quick ending to the match. Is the bandages are tried again. Goku doesn't let it work. He moves in, delivers a pretty serious blow to the midsection of bandages. And bandages just kind of collapses to the ground. And Goku even looks up at Baba and says, Baba, did I win the match? Where do you want me to put your mummy? <laughs> and 
we've been talking about this fight for a few minutes. I want to be clear too that Goku won this match with one punch. He did not hit this mummy any other time. He basically was just weathering the storm, just kind of testing out his own durability against this mummy and then just punches him in the stomach and wins. <laughs> this is this is the equivalent of it like when Goku gets Super Saiyan, every other time after that he fights while not being Super Saiyan, this is comparable to where it's just the sizing up the opponent and seeing what they can do and kind of testing his limits sort of thing. Yeah, and you made a comment too about Goku being cocky here. I thought that was interesting, especially because as I've been watching this, there's, I think it's Whis in Dragon Ball Super who makes a comment about Goku is too arrogant, too cocky in his fights, and he needs to change that. And that's kind of like what leads us into Ultra Instinct. But there, I've seen debates on the internet with people stating that Goku's not cocky. Like, who, why would you imagine that Goku's an arrogant fighter? That's a silly comment for Whis to make. And I mean, you could make arguments about that for maybe Dragon Ball Super or Dragon Ball Z. But in this moment in Dragon Ball, Goku is super cocky about his abilities. <laughs> I mean, how many times has Goku in Dragon Ball up to this point let his opponent kind of power up or use their technique or or I guess get away with whatever they want? It's many we've times. seen it all over the place at this point in even just Dragon Ball where he could have, you know, ended the fight quickly, but instead he let his opponent kind of do whatever they wanted. Now, mind you, sometimes you could say it was him being naive, right? Like he doesn't know what they're doing. So it's just like, I don't know, I guess do it. <laughs> but this was definitely not the case. Goku had the means of winning this fight and the rules were clear from the beginning. It was to beat the opponent so that way he can wish for his friend's dad back. So the fact that he's sandbagging it a little bit, I can't look at that other than arrogance. Yeah, it's it's arrogant. It's selfish trying to, you know, test his own abilities. Uh, it's, you know, is there something wrong with it? Not necessarily. I mean, there is the possibility that he could ruin the, he could lose the fight because he's messing around and then he's not going to be able to find the Dragon Ball. But, you know, you could argue that maybe he's thinking, oh, there will be other ways for me to find the Dragon Ball. I just want to test my abilities and we'll get Upa's father back eventually. <laughs> well, I also think a personality flaw is a good thing. I want That's him true. to have personality flaws because if he wasn't arrogant, he wouldn't have any flaws. Yeah, I I very much agree with you. I, I like that part of Goku's character because as we're about to see here shortly, they try to express that he there is nothing bad or wrong with yes, him. Yes, <laughs> we are about ready to get into that because Baba's next champion steps forward and this one is kind of a flying demon man very strange looking um, he almost looks like a man in a costume with like weird cheap wings it's i mean it's not impressive looking <laughs> it's kind of actually kind of funny but it they don't really waste any time they show the final two opponents kind of in a room and it's one man in a silly demon outfit and then one man in like a silly rabbit mask and then Demon Man walks out and the next fight is about to start. Yeah, and they I think that they call him Devil Man and what a good name. <laughs> I like I said, these guys have real original names, but <laughs> there there's some commentary going on on the side where Roshi is expressing that 
devil man is usually last he's usually number five in baba's lineup so he thinks it's strange that devil man is going in the fourth slot and that there's still a fifth fighter afterwards but yeah and he mentions that baba always has a plan this is by design yeah so she's sending devil man out here deliberately and Devil Man begins flying, so we get the impression, okay, that makes sense. He's got a clear advantage over the Devil's Toilet against someone who can't fly, but it doesn't matter to Goku. Goku lands some flying kicks and punches and puts Devil Man right in his place. <laughs> yeah, this is just, I mean, it's a completely one-sided fight. Goku just beats the snot out of Devil Man. And... We see Devil Man kind of being pushed to his limit and start unveiling a new technique. He's channeling his Devil Might beam that manipulates like thoughts or emotion or something like that. They're a little vague on it, but we kind of get that hint as to what it is. Right. And they kind of leave us with that cliffhanger as we move into the next episode continuing the fight between devil man and goku yes which is episode 74 a glimpse at the mysterious fifth man yeah so we're gonna get to see that here after our fight with devil man and he executes his devil might beam against goku with this kind of pink swirling what looks like a key blast really but it seems like it's it, it takes hold of Goku and then nothing seems to happen. We even get Roshi giving an explanation of what the devil might beam is, where it's supposed to take hold of negative thoughts inside of a person and then swell to the point of bursting and killing the person from the inside out. Yeah, and so Goku's hit with it, but... It's kind of obvious after the explanation that uh, Goku has no evil in his heart. And so the Devil Might Beam does nothing to Goku, which I absolutely knew that was going to happen because we had like the Flying Nimbus trials and stuff like that. We know for a fact that Goku has a pure heart. Yeah, and I feel like especially after they explained the technique, I feel like the entire audience who has been watching and paying attention is thinking, oh, it's not going to work on Goku. He's got a pure heart. He doesn't think any negative thoughts. That's why he can ride the Nimbus. Like that's, it's a clear indication that this is not going to work on him. And Devil Man even goes so far as to try it a second time and it does not work. Yeah, so doing that same technique harder, I guess, uh, still has no effect on Goku. And so Devil Man breaks out his trusty trident because the devil with the trident, it's I think it's a cliche meme. It, but at this point, Goku doesn't have he, Goku mentions that he doesn't have a weapon. Why doesn't he have his uh, his power pole during this fight? You know, it's interesting because. I kind of got the impression that weapons were not allowed, but I don't think that they ever explicitly stated that, but. Yeah, Goku kind of left his power pole to the side. Maybe Goku is treating it like the World Martial Arts Tournament, where they aren't allowed weapons. Yeah, so we get the Devil Man with his trident poking at Goku, eventually pushing Goku to the edge of the arena and seemingly knocking him off. But 
Goku's able to kind of clamber back on the other side of the arena with his tail. And yeah, the fight continues for a little bit, but we get a explosive, like kind of anime midair collision in the middle of the fight. There's an explosion and this is the fight's climax with Goku kicking Devilman into the ceiling, leaving Goku standing as the victor. Yeah, despite the trident or pitchfork that Devilman was using, giving him a little bit of an edge, Goku still annihilated him. And there's kind of a fun comment here from Roshi as he's been talking about Goku's power, surprised by Goku every step of the way, because Roshi didn't think that Goku would even be able to defeat the mummy. And now... This is kind of what I was talking about with you earlier, Dayton, where this is just really cementing the gap between Goku and what will be the other Z fighters, where Goku's just leaps and bounds stronger than all of them, than Roshi, than Yamcha, than Krillin. Like, it's, it's, it's because it, you're starting to see the, the show become the Goku show because with the gap as large as it is like i mean krillin trained under roshi just like goku and krillin wasn't even able to defeat the weakest arguably of baba's fighters and goku just handled honestly not even really that difficult it wasn't that difficult for goku um what was baba's strongest fighter at least for a long time and so now it's i mean it's the goku show and i i get it um the, the show is kind of centered around Goku, right? And he's kind of the main character. And you, you sort of expect it. But Goku was able to defeat the mummy and um, Devilman relatively easily. Like, Goku's not beat up or hurt. He was almost out-tricked or out-thought. But Goku was a whole different level as far as power level goes. Yeah. I think what we're going to see as being an issue as Dragon Ball moves forward is that we're watching the original Dragon Ball. This is where everything started. We're only 74 episodes into the series. And if you view Dragon Ball as a whole, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super, if you want to throw GT in there, sure. I mean, we're looking at upwards of 600, 700 episodes of content. So we're maybe a tenth of the way through that content and Goku is already spreading that gap of power between him and the other fighters. Like, uh, that gap's going to get real big. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think I'd be upset if Goku beat the mummy and beat Double Man, but, like, it was tough, right? Like, I wouldn't... I don't think I'd care as much if it was a real struggle to get through Devilman or something like that, where it's just like, yeah, Goku's in, he's the head of the pack, but he's not like that far ahead sort of thing. But he's so much stronger than all these opponents who are beating all the, the other Z fighters that it just seems like, like, okay, why, why would anyone else do anything? It should just be the Goku show at this point. Just retire everybody now. Yeah, it's, 
it'll become a problem. They basically have to introduce new characters to prevent it from being as much of a problem as it would otherwise be, which we'll see. I also think the show is less interesting with the the other characters already kind of, you know, backed out of the... Yeah, yeah, sideline. Because now it's just like, you're just waiting for Goku to do stuff. It's, you know, it was kind of fun seeing Krillin fighting in the underground tunnels against uh, uh, Blue. Yeah. Because yeah. he actually pushed Blue to kind of a limit, and like it was only kind of unveiling what is kind of a cheap technique in a fight that Blue actually won the fight. So like that was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a lot of fun to follow Krillin, and then Krillin tested the waters for Goku. Goku still walked into the trap anyway, but you know it's it, it was a lot of fun, and they weren't they weren't miles apart like they are now, and so it. It doesn't feel as good if you're a fan of anybody other than Goku at this point. Yeah, I definitely agree. But that's going to move us into our final fight here. Where Yes, the fifth fighter is called Ford, the man in a rabbit mask and halo over his head, which is... If this was your first time seeing Dragon Ball content, this would make no sense to you. Yeah, and I mean... Goku just fought a devil, right? So if you see the halo, you could be like, okay, maybe it's an angel. I, don't I didn't know. even make that analogy. That's actually really fun. The devil and angel analogy. Yeah, I mean, it. all of these guys have been monsters. So honestly, for me, even though I, I knew it was coming, that was my, my first thought where I was like, you know, I guess people could assume that it's he's like an angel or something, but it looks like an old man in a rabbit mask with a halo. It does. And this old man asks if they can move this fight back outside into the fresh air. And so Baba, of course, agrees. And they head out to the outside arena. And we have our, our Z fighters kind of following behind this rabbit masked fighter. And we get some commentary where Goku mentions that there's something comforting about the smell of this fifth fighter. And this is kind of the first hit towards something. I love this dialogue. We even get Master Roshi saying that the mass fighter feels familiar and he has this impression that he's an incredible man for some reason. And we wrap up this episode as the fight is called to begin. And I think that takes us into the next episode where we're going to see our two combatants it does which is episode 75 clash the kindred formidable enemy and we get the early stages of the battle kind of beginning and continuing at this point and it seems like at least in the the opening scenes of this battle that this mysterious fighter and goku are kind of on a very similar footing which is something we haven't really seen from any of the other fights that goku's had for a long time yeah, the old man catches Goku's punch. There's an exchange of blows where there's actually one scene that I thought was really cool where the old man blocks with his elbow one attack from Goku and then returns with a strike with the elbow right to Goku's head. And we get the I, old I man. I do want to say real quick that all the other fights were animated fine up to this point. Like they weren't. I don't think they were great. I don't think they were bad either. They were fine. This battle was actually animated pretty well. It's one of the things that I like giving Dragon Ball credit for is that there's a lot of 
I guess, deliberate animation involved in a lot of this. There are a couple like recycled like punch, punch, punch scenes in this battle, but there's a lot of scenes that have unique animations with throws and then like bouncing off the ground and bouncing back and getting back into the fight. It's a really fun little battle. Yeah, it's definitely good. There's a sequence where the old man swirls in like a spiraling punch towards Goku. Goku gets knocked down, returns a kick to with a kick to the old man's face. And they both kind of split apart, winded from one another. And again, we're getting these these details where Roshi recognizes the old man's fighting stance, but he doesn't make the connection as to who that would be yet. And then our two combatants kind of go back in at each other and exchanging more blows here. There's a scene where the old man kicks Goku, throws Goku into the air, kicks him down into the arena where Goku's stuck in a hole. And then Goku leaps back out of the hole, charging after the old man and kicks him in the face. The old man bounces off of a building with a kick of his own. It's and so fun. It's so freaking fun. The pacing of this fight's great, too. It's so good. And the the last kick, Goku just deliberately takes to the chest, like completely no-sells it. What is and... it? That's like those uh those monks that you've seen videos of or whatever, where they get in that stance and they just completely absorb the blow. It, it was very reminiscent of, of that. It's super cool. And this creates a small pause in the fight where our old man says he has something fun to show Goku and he begins charging a familiar key blast. And about that time, just before he's, he says he has something fun to show Goku, the man actually mentally notes that Goku has been training and has gotten a lot stronger and so there's, they're starting to build this weird, I guess, familiar Well, He's familiar with Goku somehow. And it makes you think it gets the, uh, gets the brain juices pumping. I'm glad you noted that. Cause I kind of overlooked some details like that because I already knew what was going on going into this. But I, I like that. They're still feeding the audience breadcrumbs as we're going through the fight. Yeah. And so he starts charging up, uh, Let's see here. It's a very familiar move. Do you know which move it was? I've only seen it a couple of times in the show, but I think they call it the Kamehameha. Yes. And so this is one of, gosh, there are very few people in the world that know this technique. So it's wild seeing this just kind of broken out in this random tournament. <laughs> um, but yeah, he starts charging up the Kamehameha wave and then eventually he unleashes the destructive energies. And it washes over Goku and you see him just kind of fade to nothing as the energy goes straight through him. I'm sorry. I have to pause briefly because as you were saying, there's only a few people in the world who know this coming. Hameha. All I could think about was Dragon Ball Z abridged where they're like, yeah, only a few people know it like me and Krillin and Yamcha and Master Roshi <laughs> and Piccolo. That one time he decided to try it. <laughs> What, are you going to beat me with your stolen technique? <laughs> I don't steal my techniques. King Kai, did I learn the Kaioken by my own? <laughs> my fucking name is in it. <laughs> uh, a bridge oh, tangent. Was so good. <laughs> also, the guy who voice acted Cell in that did just a 10 out of 10 job. Holy crap. Oh, so good. 
But anyway, um, so yeah, uh, the Goku is just disintegrated by the Kamehameha wave by the mysterious rabbit man. But we find out that this Goku that was hit by the Kamehameha wave was actually an after image technique, which I freaking love. I love this use of the after image. Goku's got a small bag of techniques and he's starting to use them at the exact right times. Yeah, this was cool. It's I feel like the after image is it's been used frequently, but not overused, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like you said, kind of it's used at the the perfect times because we even see the Kamehameha engulfing Goku's body. And Goku, I actually had a mental thought where I was like, man, Goku's not even doing the fucking cross block. <laughs> I mean, it's what is it in the first world martial arts tournament that Goku was in? I believe Goku just like he picked it up at the tournament or around then and then yeah. decides just to just use it because it's awesome. And I think Roshi just like picks it out immediately, just punishing Goku for recklessly using the technique. And so since then, he's been, I guess, using it much more responsibly. It's a little bit more conservative. He uses it when it's when it's needed, I guess, which we're about to see here as he leaps up into the air and he kind of dives towards the old man in almost like a Superman attack. And the old man even expresses, oh, that is a mistake as he has no way to change his trajectory and he's leaving himself exposed to an attack. So the old man starts to charge a Kamehameha, but then he hears Goku saying the same words. (laughs) That's so awesome. (laughs) As Goku turns his Superman assault into a leaping aerial Kamehameha and blasts it at the old man before he can fire off his own. This was absolutely incredible. I will say at first, I thought it was going to be a beam battle, which I was also pretty excited about. I was hoping for that, too. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is going to be cool. Oh, but just uh, the masked man getting caught off guard by Goku knowing the Kamehameha wave and firing it mid-flight, crashing into the ground near Baba's final warrior, knocking him to the floor. And this is when Goku kind of lands and drops a pretty heavy knee on the knocked over old man. And it looks like the fight might be finished here. Yeah, the old man is is kind of down and out for a few lengthy moments. But he eventually, as Goku is asking if he's going to give up, reaches his hand out and back behind Goku and latches onto his tail. Yeah, and this is, well, we could bring up Whis again, right? The Goku being warned about how he lets his guard down, his arrogance. I think this is another example of that, of Goku thinking the fight is over, thinking he's won and letting his guard down and kind of getting caught with his pants down again. Yeah, and Grandpa, well, almost let it slip. <laughs> the old man here is going to take Goku by the tail. And actually, I think at this point is about where Roshi does reveal uh, as the old man yep. slams Goku into the ground that only the old man 
who raised Goku would be able to read his movements, fight on par with him, and know his single weakness would be Grandpa Gohan, the person who lived with Goku, raised him as a child, and was murdered by him as a great ape. Yes. And this episode kind of ends with that reveal, but also that reveal coupled with Grandpa Gohan holding Goku by the tail and just slamming him Hulk style into the arena. So it's very interesting. There there are some conflicting emotions at this point. Yeah. And I think that honestly takes us into the next episode as we are going to come to the conclusion of this Baba tournament. Yes, which is episode 76, The Masked Man's True Identity. I hope they reveal it in this episode. (laughs) But the battle continues, and we do get a brief pause like in the fight to show the Pilaf gang kind of testing out robots and spy gear and stuff like that and they happen to just be looking through a spy camera when goku's tail weakness is revealed so that's even more out there at this point yeah super convenient it 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 almost feels out of place it's especially because we haven't seen the peel-off gang in a while a long time yeah but they do reveal that they have the seventh dragon ball and they have it in a shield container that blocks the signal that the dragon ball sends out so we find out why the seventh dragon ball can't be seen on the dragon radar at the very least this was just a really weird spot to drop this because we haven't had any breaks from this story arc so far and then this just feels out of left field but anyway we know where the dragon ball is and it's with the peel-off gang and they're doing peel-off stuff i guess Yeah, it's a little bit weird, but at least it is connected because we know that Goku is searching for the seventh Dragon Ball. But but yeah, I I didn't like getting pulled away from the fight with Grandpa Gohan either. But we're going to dive right back into it as Grandpa Gohan continues to brutally beat his grandson. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he is just Hulk smashing Goku around the arena with by Goku's tail, by the way. So Goku's just basically paralyzed, just taking it. And it's absolutely brutal. And it's so brutal that Grandpa Gohan actually rips Goku's tail off from the force of slamming him around the arena. So this was interesting to me. While Since it's been a while since I've seen Dragon Ball, I forgot how this fight ended. And... While when I was watching Grandpa Gohan grab Goku's tail, he's he's not only intelligent, he knows Goku's weakness, but he's he's a martial artist. He has no reason to let go of Goku's tail if he wants to win this fight. And so in my mind, I was like, how in the world is Goku going to get out of this? His tail getting ripped off was not what I thought was going to happen. 100% in the same boat. 100% in the same boat. And on top of that, this felt like this should have been a slightly more gory scene because you are just like ripping the tail off. It's not like a key blast or something like that that might cauterize the wound or something like that or a Namekian's arm. Those are okay to rip off, but it's just (laughs) like, just the idea of it just seems kind of gruesome to me. Yeah, I mean, Goku expresses pain like it's one of the few times we see Goku in serious pain and and actually voicing that. But but I agree with you that it, it feels like there should be a little bit more to it than it just pop. 
<laughs> I mean, Krillin's head getting bit. Piles of blood. Goku's tail being ripped off by just force. Eh, no blood at all. That's cool. You can just do that. <laughs> yeah, but fortunately for Goku, this alleviates him of his one and only weakness. And I also wanted to note that this is the second time that Goku's lost his tail now. He lost it when he turned into a great ape in the peel-off saga at the beginning, too. And I also thought, too, that it was... There's almost something poetic about Gohan getting rid of Goku's tail when the great ape form is what killed Grandpa Gohan. <laughs> yes. It makes me wonder, do you think that Grandpa Gohan is now privy to the tail being the source or like a source of Goku being able to turn into the great ape? They don't really express that he's aware of that. Like, I, if he I was mean, aware of it, obviously, I think he would have, you know, nipped that in the bud a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. You're wondering if he was aware of it prior to his death. Is that yes? Which, okay, I I don't think he was prior to his death for sure. Uh, but is he aware of it here? I'm not even sure that he's aware of it here necessarily because we know he basically knew that Goku turned into a big monster, but he may or may not know that the tail was kind of the source of that. I mean, we, we do get another surprise after the surprise tail getting ripped off. Um, we get a surprise ending to this fight. I was kind of bummed about this as grandpa Gohan says, I surrender. I mean, I will say there's a good chance that with Goku's tail removed that Gohan might not have been able to win that fight anyway. It's tough. Like, I was thinking about it, too, because, I mean, Grandpa Gohan was beating the snot out of Goku. So Goku definitely would have been would have been hurt, would have been weakened. In addition to the fact that the last time in the world tournament where Goku's tail grew back, Goku makes a comment about how he feels so much stronger when he has his tail. Oh, I did forget about that. That's interesting. So Goku could potentially be significantly weaker in this moment, having just gotten the shit kicked out of him and losing his tail. And I mean, we, we've seen how many times Goku's tail has saved him from certain death or doom or falling or failing or a hundred other things. Goku is very proficient with his tail, and it's an advantage that he leverages quite a bit. Yeah, it absolutely is. And actually, now that I'm looking through my notes, I don't think that I wrote this down, but Grandpa Gohan at some point even mentions that while Goku is strong and his training has uh, has been excellent for him. He still didn't take into consideration or do anything about his greatest weakness, which is his tail. Uh, and so uh, that's interesting to me. I think Gohan actually even says that to Goku. He does. He says that um, he's always told him or I've always told you that your tail would eventually be your downfall. There it is. See, I think it was coming up right in this section, and I kind of forgot about it. Yeah, I paraphrased it a little bit, but I got the gist of it here. Yeah, and 
it's it's funny because it makes me think of uh uh raditz off the top of my head <laughs> oh yeah that is an interesting comparison too given that raditz was taken out because of his tail so yeah, so it's just, I mean, it's funny. It's also, there's the Whis analogy of your arrogance and that sort of thing. It's, Goku has had several masters at this point, kind of, or not this point, but by the time he reaches Super, he's had several, like, extremely high-level martial artists, teachers, whatever you want to call them, kind of warn him about his dropping his defense and his recklessness and his arrogance, like all these various things, these themes that kind of go throughout Goku's entire life that just these flaws that always seem to exist. Yeah. I mean, it, it continues all the way in th- to Dragon Ball Super too. So we get to see a few little changes here and there, which is good as he gets some character development. But this moment here is we kind of finally get a touching emotional beat as Goku sees his grandfather for who he is as Grandpa Gohan removes the mask and Goku runs over one of the few times that we really get to see some emotion out of Goku as he runs over, hugs Grandpa Gohan and is just he's just crying into his chest as he gives him a hug. Yeah, with the identity finally revealed, um, we see tears kind of pouring from Goku's eyes as he runs in for the embrace. And he mentions that I thought you were gone and we get this kind of this emotional breakdown out of Goku, which we've seen Goku emotional, but we haven't really seen Goku show that softer, more tender side that just kind of let it all loose sort of attitude. And I mean, in the series, we've seen almost none of that. The, um, what was the movie we had just watched? The path to power. Yeah. The path to power. We get a kind of similar touching scene in path to power, which is done very well, by the way. And if you guys haven't seen that movie, fricking watch it because it's, it's stellar. So good. But in in this, this was a, a really touching moment. And this is the only human that Goku knew for the first, like, like few years of his life. This man is the only contact Goku had with another human being. And for some reason, that puts it on this whole different level. This is Goku's entire family, basically. Yeah. I I love moments where we get to see Goku being emotional and we get to see him, you know, being angry on multiple occasions when he's defending his friends and whatnot. But I feel like it's pretty rare that we get to see him be vulnerably emotional. And so I like this moment a lot here. And Grandpa Gohan expresses that the mask was he put it on to allow Goku to fight at his full power because he didn't think that Goku would really go all out. If he knew that he was fighting his grandfather seems similar to something master Roshi did. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I think even we kind of bypassed it, but Roshi actually had a good comment here in the last episode. Let me see if I can find it where Oh, no, it was actually it's earlier in this episode where he says Goku has to hang on when Goku's getting slammed into the ground. Uh, Goku has to hang on or Gohan's visit will be for naught as Roshi kind of realizes that Gohan's here to hopefully 
teach Goku a few things in his return to the living realm. Yeah, and we get Gohan kind of revealing that um, Baba brought him back for just a day, which is something that will happen later in Dragon Ball again. But yeah, he only has one day left on, or only one day back in the living realm. And we get kind of a, like I guess, a recap of the adventures of Goku up till this point, which was interesting and fun. It was um, funny to hear Balma's perspective. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but after the recap, Gohan just kind of says his goodbyes and then uh, asks to be brought back to the, the uh, what's the other realm called? I, I think it's literally called the other world. Oh, there you go. The other world. And so... <laughs> Yeah, we get some goodbyes and he leaves. It's I have a complaint about this scene because I feel like it should have been slowed down a little bit and we should have had a little bit more Gohan and Goku conversation time and just a, the moment was very short. It was an embrace by Goku, a recap, and then he has to leave and says goodbye. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. You know what they could have done? They could have removed those five wonderful minutes we had with the pilaf gang <laughs> oh gosh yeah or as we're gonna find out we've got some filler at the tail end of uh tonight's episode of instant transmission so they could have trimmed <laughs> any of that off and gave us some more goku gohan time but yeah um my one complaint is that this this scene felt rushed and it shouldn't have because it would have hit so much harder for me if there if there was if the moment slowed down and we could actually like really see that moment of vulnerability with Goku and Gohan and kind of that, that father son relationship that they had. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you there. It, while this scene did make me kind of teary eyed, just knowing what grandpa Gohan means to Goku and just with how much I personally care about these characters, I think it could have been done a little bit better if we would have gotten some more honestly just some more dialogue just like grandpa gohan talking to goku about his accomplishments not just getting the kind of recap from balma's perspective while that was kind of comical i think having that intimate moment between the two grandpa and grandson would have been a little bit better i mean it was the reveal was good the the embrace was great yeah but after that, it just kind of is the recap. And then Gohan says his goodbyes. And it was just like, but this is such a big moment. This is such a huge, important moment, or even just a, a stepping stone for Goku to kind of, I guess, accept his grandpa's passing and maybe even learn a little bit and kind of reorientate Goku or something. Just we could have really built something important and meaningful off this moment, but it was just kind of, it was just kind of, here's the important reveal, and then we're going to move on. It was just like, all right, but what did Goku really get out of meeting his grandpa again? Because it's not, it doesn't scream out to me. Yeah, and I think while it doesn't scream out to the audience, I think what I get out of it is that Goku got to show what he's learned and how he's progressed over the years that grandpa Gohan has been gone and grandpa Gohan got to see that 
the child that he left behind, the grandson he left in the living world is fine. He's, he's doing well. In fact, he's doing better than well. He's incredibly powerful, incredibly successful. And I mean, that's that, that, that in itself is incredibly powerful. Should they have expressed that a little bit more in the dialogue, in the characters actions and the way that they did the writing in this, this scene? Absolutely. But it still hits me in the feels just kind of inferring all of that myself. Oh yeah. It's like I said, it's, I like the idea of it. I just just give me a little bit more. Let's slow it down. Let's spend a little bit more time with grandpa Gohan. Also because we haven't really met grandpa Gohan up to this point. So it kind of would have been nice to, maybe learn a little bit about Grandpa Gohan. And then so that way, as we move forward, we can kind of see where Goku's coming from, see how Goku is raised and who imparted their, their lessons and their personality on young Goku. It's really funny with you saying that because right now, especially with what's happening in the Dragon Ball Super manga, there's a lot of, there's a lot of content and a lot of controversy surrounding Goku's father, Bardock and everybody's well, a bunch of people really love Bardock and really want Goku to meet or learn about Bardock. Why? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why grandpa Gohan is Goku's dad. As far as I'm concerned, like grandpa Gohan found him and raised him and took him in as if he was his own. As if he was his own flesh and blood, he raised him no different. And that's just, I don't know, that's the stuff of legend right there. That's the kind of stuff that really makes my, my heart swell. Yeah, you, you basically read my mind and said exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Because it's it's funny how much people care about Goku's father, Bardock. And I don't know that people care less about Grandpa Gohan necessarily, but just how little content we get that involves Grandpa Gohan. It's interesting to me. I mean, my thing is, is I could have never have learned about Bardock and my opinions on Dragon Ball as a whole thing would not change. Yeah. Like, I I honestly don't think I would be really losing anything. I mean, if you want to go into Bardock as a character and follow him individually, he does have a, like, a pretty interesting story right like trying to get his kid out of there realizing the bad situation blah blah blah. but might be going off on a on a tangent here might be off subject just just a little bit i mean i'm good at veering us off course so (laughs) we'll try to turn the ship back into the harbor here Uh, yes so gohan uh says his goodbyes and we get baba doing the fortune telling thing and we get the location of the final dragon ball and it's in a car, a reddish car about 200 miles away. Yeah. And we, as the audience are aware that this is the Pilaf gang driving this car and it pretty much wraps up the episode. I do want to point out here real quick. I've something else about, about Bardock. Yeah. Something else about Bardock. I've, no, we're going to go the Grandpa Gohan route this time. <laughs> and I I totally missed this in when we covered Dragon Ball Super. I forgot to talk about this. But in Dragon Ball Super, when Goku goes to Baba again to resurrect Frieza for a day for the Tournament of Power, he's in Baba's palace. He's at the arena where he fought Grandpa Gohan. And there's a small sequence for about a minute or so 
where Goku is reliving that fight. It's really cool. There are videos on YouTube where they put the scenes back like side by side from Dragon Ball Super to Dragon Ball, where the fight with Grandpa Gohan and Goku in Dragon Ball is mirrored in Goku's actions in Dragon Ball Super. And I love that. I love that this, you know, 40 or 50 year old Goku in Dragon Ball Super is reminiscing about his grandfather, the man who raised him in that moment when he's in that arena in Baba's palace. And it's it honestly, it's it's wild to me that there that that is not like pointed out or alluded to in any other way. Like you literally have to go digging on the internet to be like, is that a thing? Is that a little Easter egg that they put in there? But I love that so much. I mean, I like that homage even better that they didn't point it out, that they just put it in there and it's just like, all right, you know, if if you find it cool, if not, then cool as well. Then it's just a cool fight scene. Like that that is such a great way to reference Dragon Ball without like hitting it too hard on the nose, right? That's a fair point. Actually, it's probably better that it's subtle that way. It's just I didn't even recognize it or notice it when I watched through Dragon Ball Super. I, no, this is news to me. Yeah. So I was, when I found it out, I was like, oh, that's so good. Like, what an excellent little character beat for Goku. That's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, I didn't know that. But enough gushing about that. I think that <laughs> takes us into the next episode. Yes. And I believe that this is episode 77, Pilaf's Great Strategy. And we get Goku kind of gearing up and heading out to find the car that houses the final Dragon Ball. Um, also, that car has a Pilaf gang in it. So just so everyone knows, Goku doesn't know, but we all know. And uh, they also reveal that the... Um, I believe this is where they reveal that the box that they're storing it in actually um, keeps it from showing up on the Dragon Radar. You might be right. I might have jumped the gun on that one, but... We basically find out they've got it in the box and Goku's more or less saying what's in the box, (laughs) but he's basically saying, Hey, give me the dragon ball. I need to, I need to use it for something important. Uh, And clearly the Pilaf gang is like, nah, man, we want to rule the world. So we're going to fight you with our sweet new power suits. Yeah, so they break out their sweet new power suits, and they also know, because of their spy camera, that Goku's tail is his weakness. And so they hatch a plan to grab Goku by the tail and beat him up, but uh, they didn't realize that his tail was just ripped off, so he doesn't have that weakness. And so we get the bots forming a Voltron to take down Goku. And the Voltron's pretty short-lived, as a single Kamehameha puts the Voltron pretty much out of commission. Yeah, and there's a few little cool things with the robots here with like one has an extendo arm, one has a laser hand, one has a flamethrower. Like, it's fun. It's fun seeing the robots do neat little things. And the uh, I feel like at this point, the design for the robots are pretty iconic throughout Dragon Ball. They are. Which which is kind of funny, given the fact that they get taken out by a single Kamehameha almost (laughs) immediately. (laughs) Yeah, so the, the robots are pretty easily just kind of dismantled um they try to run away but goku's able to throw their own missile at them and this pretty much turns the the remnants of the robots into nothing and goku's able to 
walk up and not only take the Dragon Ball, but his clothes were destroyed in the fight. So he steals Shu's uh, outfit. So Goku's got some new threads. Yeah, he's rocking a blue and yellow gi, which is a new look. And he's got all seven Dragon Balls. And uh, honestly, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Yeah, that episode was pretty much just they get Goku gets a new outfit and he gets a the final Dragon Ball. And yeah. now that he's got all seven Dragon Balls, um, we're moving into episode 78, which is once again Shenron. And Goku victoriously flies back to the gang on his Nimbus. And he, Goku and Upa take all seven Dragon Balls and fly back to Upa's home. And as Goku flies off, Baba mentions to the party that someday everyone will know Goku's name, that he may become a great hero of our time. And I thought that was just very poetic. It's a cool little nod to what's going to happen in the future. I mean, it's this is so early in the series that, you know, when you're watching this for the first time, you don't know that clearly Goku is a uh, hero of the world and the universe. But I mean, the writer knows what's going to happen, probably. Uh, I hope so. Well, kind of I'll say through DBZ, he knows what's going to happen. After that, it's mm, I'm, I'm not going to vouch for him. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. But it, it's a cool little foreshadowing moment from our fortune teller. Yeah. And so uh, at about this time, we see that um, Roshi is convinced to take Yamcha on as one of his pupils since uh, Goku is too strong to be trained anymore. So I guess he's got a vacant spot. Um, so long as Bulma hangs out on his island in a bathing suit. Ugh. More boob jokes. Yeah, everyone loves them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Goku and Upa arrive at Upa's home and the Eternal Dragon is summoned. Um, and can I say that this is one of the best looking Shenron summons we've had in a while? It is absolutely fantastic with the multiple heads of the dragon forming from the electrical energy and there's a, just electricity everywhere and it, the, the different tendrils of the dragon heads are like flowing together and stuff. It looks fantastic. I was going to ask how you felt about that, because I felt like it was an improvement from the first summoning in Dragon Ball. I don't know if it was just the animation or the budget, but they could have they... reused all of it. But it's been a long time, so I don't remember. <laughs> no, it definitely looked better, in my opinion. Uh, and I think one of your big complaints about Dragon Ball Super and the way they present Shenron is that they treat him as a joke. But here... He is treated with respect. Yeah, like with the sky darkening and everything. And it's actually a foreboding moment, right? It's you almost get, I guess, the sinister feeling when Shenron summoned. And even Upa is kind of running and hiding in fear from this. I mean, I don't blame him. This giant dragon that's before him. And Shenron's all business, right? It's why have you awakened me from my slumber? What do you want? Like it's. He's not being a nice guy. It's, hey, I, I need to get back to bed. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And at Goku's prompting, Upa eventually summons the courage to make the wish himself and wish for his father, Bora, to be brought back to life. And I totally had to relook up Bora's name because I haven't heard it in God knows how many episodes. But yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we see. The dragon's eyes glow red and the wish is completed. And we see Bora actually clawing his way out of his grave. 
And we get a scene very similar to Goku and Gohan of Upa running and crying to embrace his dad as he's now returned from the dead. That's a nice note on that parallel. I didn't make that connection in my, in my head, but they are very close kind of back to back in those moments too. And it's, it's an interesting moment. It, this is our, our first resurrection using the dragon balls in dragon ball. And, and how many episodes did it take just to get the dragon balls? God, I don't even know. I mean, we're on episode 78 here and they summoned the dragon probably back in like episode 13 the first time. So yeah, all, all resurrection should be that difficult, not just an afternoon's work. This is why I said earlier, instant transmission was a big <laughs> mistake and flying <laughs> and flying. I agree for sure. But, but yeah, we get um, kind of that, that kind of heartfelt embrace, not nearly as good as Goku and Gohan, but just because I don't really know these characters and I, to be fair, I personally don't really care about them. They are just a, what do they call it? A MacGuffin? A reason why you're doing the thing? Yeah, and it, it's another way to characterize Goku as a good person, right? Where he's he's doing this for people that he does not know well at all. Yeah, it is a very selfless thing, right? And so with the wish complete, Shenron says goodbye. But as the Dragon Balls move up into the air to scatter, we see Goku kind of eyeballing the four-star ball. And just before they're launched off into God knows where, Goku actually leaps up and catches the four-star ball before it can leave. And that honestly blew my mind. I didn't know that was an option. I totally forgot that that was a thing. And I thought it was so fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, holy crap. Goku's just like, I just want this one. I also, though, like, I mean, this, I have so many questions. Can you, does this mean that you could just jump up there and grab all you of know, them? Before I, they... <laughs> I went down that road for about five seconds and I said, there's no point. There's no point. Like, are we metagaming the Dragon Balls? Can we get them even quicker? Even that's not faster. Something we need. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, I was just like, I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to let this one slide. That's yeah, fair. I also, though, like, the, the moment where they resurrected Bora, they made it seem, and they don't really talk about this or cover this in the dialogue, but they almost made it seem like it was a traumatic experience. And I can, I can only imagine. Don't you say it, his name. Don't you say his name. I'm not sure which one you're talking about now, but. Oh, uh, the trauma that Krillin has gone through. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> I I like that your mind immediately went to the fact that Krillin's been killed 13 times in I, Dragon Ball. Mm, mm. The trauma I've gone through being a fan of that character, okay? Cut me some slack over here. <laughs> I was just thinking about the trauma of being resurrected, period. But, I mean, Krillin's got some extra trauma going on there. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some baggage, all right? He's been exploded and uh, impaled and uh, other things that we're going to see in Dragon Ball. <laughs> oh, no. oh geez but with uh a traumatized bora back and upa having his father back goku decides to take his leave and i will say uh bora offers to like like host a feast for goku as a thanks 
And Goku's like, nah, I'm too busy. You guys just like hang out or whatever. And I was just like, dude, just eat food with the guy. How often does Goku turn down food? That's a good point. I didn't actually notice that. I wonder, though, if we could give Goku the benefit of the doubt here. I wonder if Goku is thinking, especially with his grandpa on his mind. Nah, I just want to give Upa and Bora some time together now that they are back together. I mean, I guess that's fair. But at the same time, like I saw the way Gohan handled Goku. So you don't need a lot of time to do what you need to do. You know, you need about five (laughs) minutes. That's, I mean, he could have like stood outside their tent for five minutes and then had a feast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. But yeah, Bora's back. Goku's flying back off to meet up with the gang and the gang does reunite and they begin talking about their plans. We get Yamcha and Krillin training with Roshi. We get Roshi telling Goku that there's no point in him continuing his training under Roshi because he's already outgrown him. And so he suggests that Goku should just go out into the world and kind of live his own experiences and grow on his own. Yeah, this is big. This is a big deal for your your teacher to tell you, hey, I have nothing left to teach you. And I also have just a, a very minor gripe about this in the fact that at least as far as we've seen on screen, Roshi has never taught Goku anything about martial arts. <laughs> Admittedly, I think Goku fast-tracked a lot of it kind of on his own. Just because, like, what was it? Roshi, we've the big techniques we've seen him use are like the, the, was it the after image and the Kamehameha wave, right? Those are the, the big ones that Goku has acquired, but there were a bunch that he used in the fight against Goku that Goku That's never true. picked up. That's absolutely true. Um, yeah, Master Roshi has not really taught Goku very much, has he? And even the stuff that he's taught Goku, kind of to your point, he didn't really teach it to Goku. <laughs> Goku was just like, hey, that Kamehameha looks fun. I'm going to use that. <laughs> and even with the afterimage, it was the same thing. Uh, I mean, Roshi used it in a fight against Goku, and that's how Goku learned it. But he didn't teach it to him. I do think, though, and I would need to kind of look more into this to verify this theory, but I do think a big part of the Turtle Hermit like training regime is just training your, your body and mind. I think that's a big part of it where it's just you need you need strong mental fortitude and you need a body that can keep up with it. And that's kind of the turtle hermit way. Everything after that is your own experience and and whatever else. But. I mean, I'm going to go with that is why Roshi isn't continuing to teach Goku. And it's because that's his specialty. And so outside of that, it's up to Goku to kind of figure out what direction he wants to go from there, because it. Roshi developed the foundation of the house. It's up to Goku to build that house ho- however else he wants. Yeah, and that's fair on some some level. It's it's a little bit disappointing to me, though, because even, again, referencing the fight between Goku and Master Roshi, Master Roshi used multiple techniques that he never taught to Goku, and he used multiple fighting either stances or styles like the drunken style that he used against Goku that, you know, obviously Roshi has knowledge about fighting, about martial arts that he could pass along, but he just doesn't. And to your point, maybe Roshi has seen the way that Goku learns and adapts. He Goku even came up with his 
crazy monkey style after watching Roshi use his drunken fighting style. So maybe Roshi feels like that's more valuable for Goku. So I could buy into your what you're giving as Roshi's excuse or reasoning behind it, at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I need I need something to fill in that gap. And that's that to me is just the most plausible explanation I can think of is this is the the training regime that Roshi Roshi has mastered and what he's taught to other pupil. And so at this point, it's like, well, you've already mastered it. Your body and mind are max level. They're maxed out. Like, yeah, I have techniques, but that's not what I teach. I teach this and you've already mastered that. So now it's time for you to go off and and learn something from other masters. Because I'm sure with Roshi, I'm sure he has those bag of techniques, but he's not necessarily a master in that technique or style that led to that technique. Right. And so maybe he wouldn't be able to teach the full experience or something like that. Roshi just seems like he probably knows all those techniques because he's just been around so for so gosh darn long that he's just kind of picked them up along the way. Yeah, yeah, he's certainly versatile, which I like. And I mean, Goku proves himself to be versatile as well. So, you know, it's crazy to me how quick Goku can pick up a technique and how few techniques he has, even by super. Yeah, honestly, that's (laughs) a good point. I mean... 95% of his techniques are taken from somebody else, really. But even those are pretty slim pickings, to be fair. I mean, we're halfway through original Dragon Ball, and he has like, what, 40% of the all the techniques he knows by the end of Super? I mean, admittedly, he has a lot of techniques that he just doesn't use. Oh, that's a good point. Because when's the last time you remember him using like the... Solar flare or anything. Solar like flare. That. <laughs> yeah. that was one I was gonna say too. Like he, he knows that one. There are multiple techniques like uh that he's learned from other people that he just n- never whips out. Um, I think he's used the the multi-form technique like once or twice. Like he knows it, but he almost never uses it. Uh there's there's a number of them, I think. Hmm. Well, shoot, he's a lot more interesting than he's portrayed to be. <laughs> It would help if he actually used the techniques other than just the Kamehameha every single fight multiple times. <laughs> but uh, anyway, to get back on track here. Um, so Roshi tells Goku that he's too powerful to be trained by him anymore and that he should go out and live his own experiences and grow that way. But he has a caveat that he must travel by foot because he's not going to get any stronger if he just flies everywhere. Yeah, this is pretty cool. It it forces Goku, and we're going to see that in the next couple of episodes, but it forces him to train his body in different ways, similar to his training at the beginning with Roshi, where he used the turtle shell and swam through the rivers and plowed fields with his hands, that sort of feel to it. Yeah, and I mean, it's super... I think it makes things more fun when you've got to actually get to the destination, not bypass everything along the way. Right. Yeah. And, and with that, we get the group kind of uh, agreeing to reconvene in three years when the next world martial arts tournament is held. And they also uh, let us know that the tournament is now every three years rather than five due to its popularity. Yeah. And that is basically going to take us into the next episode with, what is kind of like a time skip and the time skip is 
filled with what I'm going to call four filler episodes. Yes. And this first episode, I wasn't aware of the filler. So I have a ton of useless notes in this one. So if you want to take the lead in this one, I kind of caught on afterwards. But this yeah. is going to be episode 79. Oh, buddy, this name. Uh, Kinkaku and Ginkaku's Man-Eating Gourd. And I believe these are the names of Plague and Terror in the show. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I think we're going to try to zip through these four episodes because honestly, if you miss these four, you're not missing anything of value. But Goku basically traveling the world. He saves a girl from being eaten by a tiger bandit and finds that her village is being plagued and terrorized by plague and terror. Oh, no. And yeah, they have a gourd that if you say somebody's name and that person does not respond by saying here, almost like calling attendance at school, the gourd will suck them in. They get turned into gourd juice that somebody can drink <laughs> and then steal oh their essence. <laughs> yeah, so if you get... I, I'm assuming that when you steal their essence, it makes you more powerful when you drink it. I just assume that, but I have no idea. I think they kind of gave that impression at least briefly, but these two guys, Plague and Terror, are moderately strong. They've got Terror walks around. He's a big guy with a sword. Plague is a small guy with a gun, and they're ransacking this village for their food, and they're terrorizing them with this gourd. And so Goku goes with the girl and uh, gets sucked into the gourd himself by these two bandits as they after they get their butts kicked by him. But Goku uses his power pole to save himself from going into the bottom of the gourd where his body would otherwise be dissolved, I guess. Uh, and then he gets let out when they go to take a drink from it. And that's when he steals the gourd, puts the bandits inside of the gourd, uh, kind of giving them a dose of their own medicine, but then lets them out so that they can be re... slaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pay for their sins. Yeah, exactly. They plow the fields and everything is good. Huzzah, self-contained filler episode story. Yep. And with that self-contained filler story done, let's move on to the next self-contained filler story, which is episode 80, a crucial Honorable match, Goku versus Tenlong. Yeah, uh, again, this is what I thought was going to be mildly interesting for a filler. Basically, they introduce us to a strong guy, martial artist, who is sick, and he's fighting against another jerk of a martial artist uh, by the name of Dragon or the Dragon Brothers, and they're competing to be the best martial arts school in this village. And they have to fight in a tournament in front of the king to win the title of the master of martial arts and the, our kind of hero, the sick martial artist, uh, master Shen or Chen is, uh, he wants to fight, but he's too sick to do so. So Goku kind of volunteers to fight in his stead. Yeah, and we get kind of a, with Goku fighting in his stead, we get some jealousy from uh, the the Master Chen's son, 
who tries to like make Goku have diarrhea so that way he can't fight, but it doesn't <laughs> kick in until Goku makes it to the arena. And so we kind of get this moment where the sun has a growing moment. Uh, the fight is mostly uninteresting. Goku beats up the other guy. And so their gym is like the world martial arts master gym or something like that. And so the day is saved and Goku goes back on with his day. He does learn a technique. I don't know if it'll ever come up again. It's called like Phantom Fist or something like that, where Goku like twirls his hands in a circle to kind of mask his attack. It's kind of neat, actually. Yeah, I think they call it the Phantom Star technique and they and liken it to the after image, which is a cool little like tie in in terms of martial arts world building. But I don't think it ever comes up again because it's a fucking filler episode. <laughs> yeah, see, that was my thing, but I, I wasn't sure. So I figured I'd bring it up. I don't remember seeing the Phantom Star technique in any episode from DBZ on. So it's yeah, that's probably a dead technique. But eh, I mean, the idea of it's pretty neat, right? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was fun. But that brings but I... us in episode 81, which is Goku goes to the demon realm. And honestly, I think this is the most kind of, how should I put it? Cringy filler, like the most extreme filler episode. So it's funny that you say that because in concept, this one is the absolute most interesting to me. Should be. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> Because I would love in Dragon Ball for them to explore the demon realm further, like with Dabura and the, you know, him being the demon king and all of that stuff. Oh, Is yeah. It... Deborah, the demon king. Yeah. <laughs> because that stuff never gets explored very frequently. Um, you know, Dabura, he's from the, the Boo saga. Yeah, he's... yeah. I know who you're talking about. Deborah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, it's. This filler is just kind of egregious. It's very much a self-contained story of this princess who gets captured by a demon. Goku goes into the demon realm to save the princess, fights the big bad demon guy, beats the big bad demon guy, saves the princess, and closes the demon gate so that they can no longer terrorize the village. Yeah, I think it's... This one's the worst one just because it's so... It's so much more outlandish than maybe the other ones, and there's even less explanation for it. So it's just this one's a write-off. I I guess if I'm ranking filler episodes uh, last, <laughs> yeah, I, I want this to be good so bad. Like even seeing some of the characters, like I think her name is Melee, who is a demon, and she helps Goku. Uh, and she helps him stick it to the main bad guy. I think Shula was his name, the demon. He's not a lord, but he's like the strong demon in this scenario. The demon king or something like that. Yeah. And I like that kind of interplay of the strife between the demons and whatnot. But but yeah, it's it's ridiculous and over the top. And I will spend a moment longer on this next one just because uh, there are some familiar faces in episode 82. The Violent Monster. Oh, that's how you spell that. Okay. The Inoshikako. <laughs> or as I was just calling it, the Ain't No Chicken Show. <laughs> I'm glad that you came up with a name that made sense because... I really got sick of typing out that thing's name over and over and over. <laughs> uh, 
Do you shorthand it? Do you just call it like the Eno or something like that? I should have, and I fucking didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Goku's journey continues. And after saving a small family from their car's brakes not working, he finds out that there's a monster terrorizing the nearby town that's called the uh, Ain't No Chicken Show or something like that. <laughs> and Goku, of course, goes to confront it and fight it. But he comes across a pair of martial artists who got there before him. And anybody who's familiar with the show, this is obviously um, Tien and Chaosu, two characters we are very familiar with later on. Yeah, and we even get a cut over to Master Roshi as he's looking through a photo album and kind of speaking with Balma. And we get to see a young Master Roshi, which is kind of fun, but he's also with a martial arts buddy of his who he calls Crane. And... Oh, I didn't catch that the first time. So that's the tie-in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're going to see Crane moving forward, but it, it's for first-time watchers of Dragon Ball, it's uh we don't know who this guy is. We don't know if he's going to be relevant or not, but we kind of cut back over to the I'm just calling it that now, the Ain't No Chicken Show monster who's running <laughs> through the village. And uh, we find that Tien and Chaozu beat Goku to the punch as they stop the monster from rampaging through the town and collect a hefty bounty from the villagers. Yeah, it's a very handsome bounty. And Goku's left with no monster to defeat, so he just kind of continues back off on his journey. And while fishing in a nearby river, and unsuccessfully, his stomach starts roaring and he gets the smell a food cooking, and he follows it over to Tien, Chaosu, and the Ain't No Chicken Show monster, all huddled around a campfire, cooking food together. Yeah, so not only is the monster not dead, but the monster is friends with what we know as Tien and Chaosu. And our two martial artists here quickly express, oh, we need to kill this boy right now. <laughs> yeah, and I did think it was kind of interesting that Goku's kind of like caught on the back foot and actually gets like a tree knocked over on top of him and is just kind of left under a tree overnight as the, uh, well, the three scoundrels, I'll call them, make their escape. Yeah, the excuse here kind of being that Goku was hungry, which is, you know, kind of a regular Never excuse. heard that excuse. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, Goku is left unconscious, but then is rescued once more by a young girl. But then I think her name is, I had a hard time with it. I think it was Tanman, something like that. I didn't bother writing it down because I'm sure I won't need it to know ever again after this episode. She is not important, <laughs> <laughs> but she feeds Goku and Goku reveals the scoundrels in Tien and Chaozu and the Ain't No Chicken Show. And uh, the the village now, or at least the girl, knows that they were playing the village for money. Yeah, and after this big reveal, we get kind of Goku going back out to try and, try and find these three again so that way he can stop them or at least clear his name. 
and he runs across, oddly enough, the same people whose brakes went out and he had saved earlier, and he's pointed to another village that's being terrorized by the Ain't No Chicken Show, and he heads in to confront Tien, Chaosu, and the monster, kind of going through their same gig again, just with another village. And this scene is actually interesting, because with their kind of ploy revealed to the village, Tien does his best to flip the ploy on Goku as the Ain't No Chicken Show is strung up in the tree. Uh, Goku kind of tickles the monster to reveal, hey, the monster's not dead. And then Tien says, oh, we are not friends with the monster. This boy is friends with the monster and he's trying to deceive you. And I'll prove it by lighting the monster on fire. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously the monster's not a part of this plan, and with this flame kind of licking at its its backside as it hangs midair, there's kind of this waiting game, this game of chicken that's going on to see who's going to jump in and help the monster first, because Goku thinks, yeah, these guys are obviously just putting on a show, they're going to help their friend. And then Tien's just waiting for Goku to jump in and prove them right. And eventually, Goku does break and step in to actually help out the monster. And this is when the village kind of turns on Goku, and he's the bad guy now. Yeah, this is interesting. And Goku takes the monster, runs away from the village, eventually escapes. uh, And then the next day, makes it to the first village, where he still has the kind of burned and wounded Ain't No Chicken Show with him. And he gets attacked, uh, kind of ambushed by the the villagers from the second village. But the young girl, Tanman, she she stops them from attacking Goku before Goku has to retaliate, saying, hey, the other guys, the other martial artists were the ones who were deceiving you to get your money. Yep. And this is enough to kind of clear Goku's name. And we get Goku and the Ain't No Chicken Show kind of returning back to the first village. And we find out that the monster is actually really not a monster. And he almost becomes like, like almost immediately a member of the village as he's kind of patched up and kind of put back into good health. And we even get a scene where the monster decides that it's going to help Goku train, which I thought was, "Eh, it's adorable, whatever. It was pretty cute, and (laughs) it's a little cheesy, but it's cute at the same time. And one of the final beats that we get as well is the girl had heard the martial artists, Tien and Chaozu, as we know them, saying that they were going to participate in the World Martial Arts Tournament. And that's kind of where they leave us as they drop the mic and end this episode that kind of leads us into the next arc with the world tournament. Yes, and this is definitely, of the filler episodes, this one's kind of worth watching because it's setting up the future conflict. These are faces that we're going to see again. And good catch on the uh, the the crane photo because I didn't catch that at first. And that's something that's going to be very very important down the line so we've got some some nice foreshadowing in this episode even though it's it's not i guess a big goku like building story it is a foreshadowing story and so it is kind of important 
it's such a weird mixture of things because it's kind of like if you took a filler episode and then mashed it with tie-in connections to the main story, <laughs> it, it just feels strange to me because it's very much a self-contained story that is very fillery, but it has to do with characters who are going to be relevant to the main plot. So it's it's just strange. Yeah, and I mean, filler episodes are always going to exist. I accept that. Um, it's just the way the industry works, if you ask me. Uh, but there are ways to do filler episodes correctly, which is like character building, fleshing out backgrounds, that sort of thing. I think this falls into that category of it is it's kind of helping build up the story. Is it important? Not really. We're going to meet these characters anyway. And there's probably a better way to int introduce these characters other than this weird monster hunt shenanigans that they went on. But like I said, it's not the most important episode. It's not the most egregious either. At least there's some content in it. Yeah, and I mean, the detail with Crane, who is Master Roshi's old martial arts buddy, that could easily be placed in another episode. But the rest of this content is at least giving us a tiny bit of characterization for Tien and Chaozu, showing that they are not good people and that they are willing to lie and deceive to get what they want, to get money, really, so... At least we know that going into the tournament when we're going to see them once again. Yeah, they jerks. They freaking mm -hmm. jerks. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, I was excited to see Tian and Chao Su. I was wondering when they would actually appear on screen, but looks like it might be three more years before I see them again. So well, mileage may vary, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'll it'll be a little while. But <laughs> So what did you think about the fortune teller Baba Saga? I think overall, I like it. I, I'm i never a big fan of filler, so I don't like that there's, you know, the number of filler episodes towards the end. Right. But admittedly, it, it's only a few filler episodes that cover a three-year time span, so I'll give them a little bit of a leeway there. Uh, other than that, though, the the tournament with Baba is pretty fun. The pacing is decent. They get, uh, sometimes they even get multiple fights in a single episode. And the combatants that they had to fight were interesting with some interesting abilities between bandages and his bandages, the uh, fangs of vampire turning into a bat and biting them. And the devil might beam was pretty cool. And I mean, even though we had some complaints about the duration and the content of grandpa Gohan and Goku's meeting back up it, it's hard to say that it's a bad moment right like I mean, it's still you know it still hit a note right it still plucked a string and i mean the setup for it was great and we we know goku's relation with grandpa gohan was super important to him he brings it up all the time it's why he carries around the four star ball and so just the We've had so many episodes of building up to something like this, and this it is an important moment. Yeah, it, it, it's great to see Grandpa Gohan. I, I don't think, honestly, I don't think we've seen him up until this point. I think he's just been talked about. I think Goku's referenced him many, many times, and Goku's talked about hey, how he's learned martial, he learned martial arts from Grandpa Gohan, and 
we know that Grandpa Gohan was killed by Goku, but that was, again, all of that has been exposition. All of that has been word of mouth from Goku. And so getting to see him on screen and actually getting to see those interactions and seeing Goku be emotional, I enjoy all of that. And the fight is is solid for sure. It's I'm comparing it in my mind to the Roshi versus Goku fight, and it's not that good. But it's definitely one of the better fights in Dragon Ball so far. I mean, it's up there. It's it's probably top three in the Dragon Ball series. It's got to be up there. The animation, like I said, it's so deliberate. It's so precise. And it feels like a martial arts battle, right? Like they're breaking yeah. out different techniques. They're trying to sweep the legs and grapple each other and pinpoint shots. It's it's fantastic. There's a couple little, you know, blurred fists going back and forth, but... Overall, I give it just very, very high scores. It's it's a very enjoyable fight. Yeah. What did you think about the rest of it? I know you mentioned like what you felt about Grandpa Gohan and whatnot, but what about the rest of the total arc? Um, I'm going to go ahead and just discount the fillers because fillers are filler episodes. I mean, I will say the best part about the filler episodes is at the beginning of most of them, there was a, you know, a shot of Goku doing some form of training to better himself. And I always like training shots. I like seeing them working towards getting more powerful. But the rest of it, I mean, it was fun. Like, honestly, it was a fun little arc. The different, you know, old school horror movie villains that Baba was bringing out because this, let's be real, this wasn't like a high stakes fight, right? Like they tried to do some of the stuff with the devil's toilet and things like that to make it feel high stakes. But this was, it was a fun little micro tournament. And it stayed on that note and it hit all the right notes. Um, still upset about Krillin. I'm not giving them any marks about for that because no no you don't do that to krillin you don't just sideline a character like that and if you are going to do it do it to yamcha don't do it to krillin yeah yeah there's a precedent here gotta (laughs) gotta do it to the right character but i mean it's and we completed the um the upa story arc here and so we have a conclusion to that and yeah like overall i'm i'm pretty darn happy with the story arc and i enjoyed it quite a bit i do think that the red ribbon story arc preceding this didn't do it any favors because we've had so many great characters in it but this was still a lot of fun it's also a shorter story arc and yeah i mean it wrapped up some stuff i enjoyed it i'm gonna put it that way the gohan goku battle and meeting are definitely the highlight the rest of it's pretty good but yeah overall it was an enjoyable watch one thing that i'm kind of realizing as we're talking about this is that They've kind of rotated here a couple times. I guess it's big picture. We've had adventure to collect the Dragon Balls. We've had training in a tournament. We've had adventure to collect the Dragon Balls again as we rotate back to that. And now we're going to get another tournament. So it's kind of interesting that they're kind of rotating and interspersing adventure and tournaments and giving us like you know, here's exploring the world. Here's some butt kicking. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so looking forward to this next tournament though. It's going to be bonkers. Good. I, I can't wait. The first one was amazing and I'm excited to be going into another one here soon. Without talking about it too much. I'm excited, especially because the tournaments in Dragon Ball all have, they all have stakes. They all have story that's relevant to the characters it's not just fighting as much as i love just fighting but they all have uh 
there's usually drama going on in the background, and I like that. So I'm excited to watch that part as well. I mean, the the fighting is half the time that's the dialogue there's a conversation going on with the battle right there's the struggle there's the revealing their real side or their true power or i don't know at this point i like that stuff because i grew up on it so g- give me some more of that yeah i mean i'm i'm totally down for that but if you give me that and give me good character development and good <laughs> story and themes oh i'll love it so much more <laughs> oh my gosh i can't wait and i feel like we're getting that here soon because like I said, I've seen random clips of some of the later tournaments and they are fantastic, but I've never seen it all together. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun as we kind of jump in and get a little bit more Tien and Chaozu and get some reveals about their characters. So good. So, so freaking good. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty much all I have to say. Dayton, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss for tonight's topic? Hell no. Let's hurry up and get to the tournament. Hell yeah. So that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we ride on the Flying Nimbus to the 22nd World Martial Arts Tournament. Goku will have some new opponents to face from an opposing school of martial arts and some interesting techniques to overcome. Will Jackie Chun be participating? Is Yamcha going to need a wheelchair? Which would really win in a fight? A turtle or a crane? Find out next time. And to our all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. Do you think Bora smells? I don't know. My nose is bleeding.